Greetings and welcome. You're listening to the Genesis Podcast, the official podcast of the Genesis Community Church in Upland, California. It is our goal to inspire one another to change the world by effectively living in the way of Jesus. Check out our website, thegenesisstory.com. There, you can learn more about us, where and when we meet, ways to invest and support, but most importantly, how to get connected. Thank you for spending time with us today. Good morning. Hope you guys had a wonderful Thanksgiving and time with family. It's so interesting, the times that we live in. Uh, You know, it's difficult sometimes to navigate between traditions and, and the way we've done things and then other people's concepts of things where we don't want to offend, but we want to enjoy life, and we find ourselves juggling so many times how we are moving forward, because things are complex, Um, and that's just how it is, and getting used to that is a good thing so that we can enjoy time together. Anyway, I'm, I'm glad that you guys are here, and all that to to just say that this is an opportunity once again for us to put on the brakes a little bit and allow ourselves room to think, to engage, to receive, as well as give with one another and allow it to be an opportunity for growth to take place in and through all these means. And so I hope that as we are here this morning, that we would allow this time to be just that opportunity, opportunity for us to grow, opportunity for us to learn, opportunity for us to even rest if that's what we need. And so I hope that we can do that. And for those watching online, I hope that that is able to be uh, communicated and experienced with you as well. But let's pause and let's pray and we will get started with our day. Lord God, we desire this time to be time where we encounter you, time where you work in our midst, reveal yourself in whatever ways that you do, and for us to be receptive to what you are doing. Thank you for opportunity, for friends, for the voice of others to be able to be a part of your working here this morning. We pray for those who are struggling, who are hurting physically, who are dealing with heartbreak and heartache, that you bring comfort and peace, and that this time again would be opportunity for us to Listen to what you are saying and how we can step into life, the life that you give. We do entrust this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Gil has let me know, for those watching online, that we are having some problems with our internet provider so that it's a little sketchy. So if you've been cut off and you can't hear us, You probably can't hear me right now. Um, 
but if you can hear me, uh, we will make sure everything gets uplaid, uploaded later so that you can uh, hear and watch the service later. A uh, couple of announcements. Remember that next week, all the stockings for Foothill Family Shelter, the children for Foothill Family Shelter need to be brought in. Um, so if you have those and are putting them together, get them here next Sunday. Um, if you do have any questions, Brianna is going to be here later. So I know, Rosemary, you had a question. We can talk to her about that um, and make sure that those things are taken care of. And once again, thank you, everyone who participated in that and putting those together. Thank you, everyone who donate to Genesis. Uh, we are grateful we are here because of you and your faithfulness. And we have been blessed with people who even though they are not in attendance, are still contributing and allowing us to continue to do what we do. And we are so, so grateful for that. And I do need to, every time, have opportunity to say thank you to do that. Um, it's important. I remember reading somewhere that gratitude is something that we learn, and we learn it by putting it into practice. And for so long, it was not a practice of mine to show gratitude because of my religious tradition. Saying thank you was considered pandering. Like if I'm thanking people for their donations, I'm just underhandedly trying to get them to give and, you know, instead. And so I shouldn't have to say thank you. It's between you and God. But it's not something that develops gratitude within me to not express it. And so it's important for me to express how thankful I am, how thankful we are for those who contribute to Genesis and allow this to continue. We are so grateful. Okay, we are in the book of Jeremiah. We are continuing in chapter five this morning. And I've entitled today's talk, Maintenance Required. Have you noticed how much of the scripture is bad news? It's difficult situations. It's heartbreaking. It's horrific events. I mean, you get to chapter four of Genesis and the first idea of worship ends in murder with Cain killing his brother you get to chapter six and God's like, okay, scratch this. Let's go do something new with Noah and his family, All right? I mean, it just goes on and on, you know, with Lot and, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot's daughters, you know, getting their dad drunk. And then with Joseph's brothers selling him into slavery. And then there's the whole Egyptian slavery and then the problems throughout the promised land or even in the wilderness. And it just goes on and on and on. Where this book that we, we look to for inspiration has so much calamity in it. And Jeremiah is very much like that. We've got a book that's really filled with a lot of heartbreak. And I think it's important to recognize that because that's the world that we live in. That's how we find ourselves. And if we keep looking for this oasis out of the world that we're in, 
we are going to be disappointed. Maybe that's why I like Peter Rollins so much in his message, right? If you're looking for happiness, you're a fool, you know, kind of says it. Just because you're not going to find what you're looking for, but if you accept where you're at, then you will find something better. And I think there's something to be learned in the book of Jeremiah, as difficult as it is. And starting in chapter 5, verse 1, we, we get the Lord giving Jeremiah this quest. It says, roam through the streets of Jerusalem, investigate, search in her squares. If you find one person, any who acts justly, who pursues faithfulness, then I will forgive her. And so remember what's taking place at the time. Babylonians are coming down. The Babylonian empire is at the doorstep. They're already probably laying siege to Judah. And this calamity is coming. And so this goes out to Jeremiah. Hey, see if you can find someone and I'll forgive her. Because the idea is that this is going to happen because of what Judah is doing. And so there's this quest, and this very reminiscent of what happened in Genesis 18, but it was reversed. Remember Abraham going to, to the Lord and saying, hey, if, if you find you know 50 who are righteous, will you wipe out the city? And God says, no, I won't. How about 40? How about 30? How about, and he goes down by tens. And finally, if you find 10, he goes, if you went for 10, I will stay my judgment and I will not destroy them for the sake of those 10. But now God's saying, hey, if you find one, let me know, I'll forgive her. And so the quest goes on. And in verse four, Jeremiah speaking says, then I thought he went through, they are poor, they have been foolish, for they don't understand the way of the Lord, the justice of their God. So he went to maybe neighborhoods that were a little less than you know middle class, and these people, he didn't find justice. So he attributed it to their circumstance. Well, that's because of their economic circumstance. That's why they're in this state. Verse five, I will go to the powerful and speak to them. Surely they know the way of the Lord, the justice of their God. However, these also had broken the yoke and torn off their chains. So things did not go well. He didn't find the justice that he was looking for. The prophet is declaring that the people don't really want justice. They don't want to be told what they don't want to hear. And when they are told these things, the truth is presented to them, they throw it off like a burden, like a yoke, like a chain. Get rid of this. I don't want to hear this. And, and there's so many parallels to how we live today with our religious, global, economic, and political systems that I, I think, it, at least to me, it stood out. We all like to be vindicated for the positions that we hold. We all like it when our people are doing good and when the other people are doing bad. And even though our candidate is a lying cheat, they're not as bad as that other lying cheat, right? It always seems worse when it's on the other person. And it doesn't seem to matter what side you're on. We are blind to the things that are our weaknesses. You know, you hear on the news that there was an explosion in the Middle East and a bus 
was in the middle of it, and on it was civilians with women and children, mothers and their children. And you want to know who did it. When that information alone really is enough to tell us something's wrong. But we want to know, was it this group or was it this group? Because we will feel vindicated if it was the other people. And so in my, you know, social media feed, I've got people on different spectrums. And on one spectrum, I'll get all these reports that are, you know, showing the wrong that this side did. And on this side, I'll get all the reports showing the wrong that this side did. And I'm just getting bombarded. And I'm like seeing all these people in the middle who are just being devastated. The information that we get is filtered through our prejudice. And I'm not saying that there isn't nuance and that their situations don't matter, because of course they do. But what happens when something other than wanting to do justice motivates the actions of people? When gaining or maintaining their situation, their wealth or power is more important than the bigger picture. And why is it so hard to see? You see, it was hard for Israel to see that something was going to happen that they didn't want to happen, that Babylon was going to take them over because in their minds, that can't happen. We belong to the Lord. So that won't happen. And so there are other prophets saying, oh, God is with you. God is going to deliver you. God's going to set you free and giving them all the stuff they wanted to hear. And they were so blind to where they really were at and the things that God was saying through the prophet of Jeremiah that it just bounced off their ears. They couldn't hear it. And when the system breaks and calamity comes, the people wonder what happened. How did this happen to us when it's been eroding for a long, long time? In verse 19 of chapter five, when the people ask, for what offense has the Lord our God done all these things to us? You will respond to them, just as you abandoned me and served foreign gods in your land, so will you serve strangers in a land that is not yours. In other words, when they come to God and say, how could this happen? He'll say, well, You abandoned me, so I abandoned you. Now, this is a major theme, and we've talked about this. The idea of the Babylonian captivity was central to the Old Testament. Remember, most of the Old Testament was written after this period of time. Even the book of Jeremiah is written after this time because it's encompassing so many years. And so it is one of these essential pieces to their history and their conversation. And the way they would interpret what happened was that because we disobeyed, God had to do this. We're reaping what we sown. Judgment has come to us because this calamity, you know, this judgment, this calamity has happened to us because of what we have done. We've brought this on ourselves. And I've got to tell you that These are the kinds of things that make me wonder, really? Is that how it works? Is is that why this happened? Or is this them trying to understand why things would happen and still hold on to their faith? Because we've got the book of Job, 
where something similar is happening, where Job is brought into this place of just horrific circumstances, and his friends come to him, and they all tell him, well, you know, this has happened because you did this. And Job says, I didn't. I didn't do any of those things. I didn't do anything wrong. And the book of Job is kind of this, what religion thinks and what's happening to a person who's saying, no, that's not how it works. Sometimes bad things happen even to good people. And it's not always because I did something wrong and now I'm receiving some kind of judgment. Sometimes there is not that connection. But what we try to find is meaning. Is there still meaning to be found even in this circumstance? And in chapter six of Jeremiah, we see that there is something that's broken in this dynamic of the relationship with God. And he gives kind of four things to show how this maintenance has been broken. In chapter six, verse 13, says, for from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is making profit dishonestly. From prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have treated my people's brokenness superficially, claiming peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they acted so detestably? They weren't at all ashamed. They can no longer feel humiliation. Therefore, they will fall among the fallen. When I punish them, they will collapse, says the Lord. One of the problems and the breakdowns that happen is this providing a simplistic solution to complex problems. They have treated my people's brokenness superficially. Making light of it or trying to give an easy fix for it. I can remember sitting into a counseling appointment with another pastor, with a couple. And this couple, the husband had a serious gambling addiction. He'd already lost the car and was losing the home. And they had children and they came to counseling. And I remember the pastor saying, you know what you need to do is come to Bible study. You need to pray and be here at the church. And I remember thinking, that's all? I like, I have questions. I think there's something more going on. But that was a simplistic answer to something that was a lot deeper. And we can do that oftentimes. We, we want to give an easy answer so that we can continue on as things were instead of dealing with hard issues. And if any of you have ever been to counseling or therapy, you know that usually that first visit isn't going to, okay, it's all better now. That first visit is usually getting the things on the table and then the counselor usually starts to look under things and starts to understand, okay, well, why is this here? I can remember talking to, it was Dr. Quinlan, 
talking to him and I mentioned something about, yeah, and I remember this time with my mom. He goes, your mom, let's talk about that. I go, no, let's not talk about my mom. What you talk about my mom for? Let's get, don't go there. Let's just deal with this thing here. Don't talk about that. But you see, he had to get to some of the root situations going on in my life that I had been blind to and not seeing how they've affected me. And they're superficially dealing with these things. We can't superficially deal with the problems in our life. They are going to take time. It's going to be complex. Saying peace, peace when there is no peace. It's going to take a lot of work. You can't solve a problem with the same mind that created it. That's Albert Einstein. We want to solve things by killing the bad guys. We want to solve things by ignoring how they got here in the first place. We want to solve things by getting a Bible verse and here, fix it. It feel, feel better for a day. We want to solve it by drinking, by using drugs, by medicating, numbing ourselves. And to maintain something, it's going to take effort and time. Second thing is they weren't ashamed and they lost sight of humility. When we have the inability to see or admit we are wrong, we have the inability to grow. And this is such an important part of our humanity is to recognize how little we really do know of most situations. And when we come into more information, when we come into a deeper understanding, having the ability to say, you know what? I made a mistake. I thought this based on this information, and now I know more. I was wrong. What if our politicians did that? Oh, my goodness. Right? Everyone's like... (gasps) Instead of holding, I wasn't wrong. I didn't say that saying, you know what? I made a mistake. I thought this, I was wrong. We all do it. Why is there this tendency to deny it? Right? It's like my grandson, you know, holding something that's broken. Why did you break that? I didn't. It's like, okay, well, there it is. What, you know, it's like obvious, but this, I can't admit it. I don't want to acknowledge What I've done is wrong or that I didn't have all the information. Gosh, I've done this so much throughout my life. I've done this so much as a pastor. And it's important for me to be able to have the freedom to say that. As, hey, there's things I thought, even through this pandemic, right? I didn't know what I was doing. It was new territory for me. There's a lot of things I could have done better, probably should have done better. So what it is. And to be able to tell people, if I've hurt you, if I've wronged you, I'm sorry. I need to be able to be vulnerable so that I can be genuine. And when they're unwilling to admit failure, when they are blind to the wrong that they are doing, they are numbing themselves to their relationship with God, 
who can only deal with who they really are and they are not being genuine. That's what the hypocrite was, right? Acting as if. And their worship was broken. Again, in chapter 6, verse 20, the Lord is saying, what use to me is frankincense from Sheba or sweet cane from a distant land? Your burnt offering are not acceptable. Your sacrifice does not, your sacrifices do not please me. You're going through the motions, but it's not okay. You see, worship is where we connect with God. All of our significant interaction with God falls under that label of worship. Now, it it could have different subheadings. There might be singing, there might be praying, there might be, you know, uh, learning and reading the Bible. There, There are all different subheadings of what worship is, but worship is where we connect with God and how we connect with God. And it shows up in a variety of ways but what it has to show up when is authenticity. It has to be real. It, 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 that's why Jesus could see the woman who only gave two mites and said she gave everything when they were giving more money. And he could say to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, that you're like whitewashed tombs filled with dead bones. Your, your worship oh, it looks pretty, but it's actually not. It's defiled. If we don't have humility, we won't see when we are not being genuine, when we are playing a game, when we are acting a part, when we are more concerned with being right than being real. What happens when there's a detachment between the character of God and the person who is worshiping God? I don't know if you guys remember the movie The Untouchables with Kevin Costner, Sean Connery. There's one scene where Al Capone, who's played by De Niro, is in the opera house and they're singing in Italian and he's being so emotionally moved, he's crying, but he's doing this. And while he's crying and being moved, he's actually sent Hitman to kill some of the cops who are trying to end that, right? And it's this dynamic, it's like, he's such an emotional, I'm being so touched, but I'm also killing these guys. And it might not be that severe, but there is a detachment from the character of God and our person in the area of worship, right? It's the people who go to church and then go to, you know, Applebee's for some reason later and treat the hostess or the waitress terribly, right? It's like there's a detachment. This God who you claim to worship who loves everyone, who asks you to love your neighbor as yourself, and then you can't treat the waitress with respect. A detachment. And so these offerings that you're bringing me, they mean nothing to me. The very first act of worship in Scripture between Cain and Abel coming before the Lord, and Abel's offering was accepted and Cain's wasn't, and the Lord said to Cain, If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? 
He didn't say, if you do what is right, your offering will be accepted. You will be accepted. If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? Sometimes that's what we need to hear. In this area of worship, if you do what's right, won't God accept it? Won't God accept you? Won't you be near to him? Verse 27 of chapter Six, I have appointed you to be an assayer among my people, a refiner. An assayer was someone who filtered the fine metals. So you may know and assay their way of life. All are stubborn rebels, spreading slander. They are bronze and iron. All of them are corrupt. They bellow, the bellows blow, blasting the lead with fire. The refining is completely in vain. The evil ones are not separated out. They all called rejected silver, for the Lord has rejected them. This last part is the refining process is broken. It's not effective. You know, there is something that happens to us or should happen to us when we are humbled. There's something that happens to us at a time of of breaking. There's a refining that takes place. And I know that so many of us have experienced that, where even though things are difficult, the Lord is near and close. But what happens when the refining doesn't produce that? What happens when the refining process doesn't accomplish refinement in our hearts and in our lives? You're learning nothing from life's lessons. The fire was already upon Judah. Babylon was already laying siege. The food was probably already minimal coming in. People were already starting to get hungry and they weren't paying attention. Something's going on. Life is always teaching us because the author of life is always reaching for us. And and this is something that happens in our lives through so many different ways and in so many expressions. From simple things to serious things. Lessons are to be learned. Life is wanting to teach. God is at work in everything. And so Paul could say, in him we live and move and have our being. But are we listening? Or are we blind to our way of living, how things are, our comfort levels, Are we unwilling to accept the change that needs to happen? We're just playing the game. Yesterday, took the grandsons fishing. I didn't do it by myself. I've learned that lesson. But I went with Daniel and Jordan, and they took Milo and Judah. We went fishing, but we went, we didn't really go fishing, we went catching. That's what I should call it. Because we went to one of these places where they stock fish 
and you go there, and it's like shooting fish in a barrel, right? I mean, it's one of these places where you rent the pole, you don't have to get a license, you just rent the pole, and then there, you can't catch and release. You catch the fish, and they're your fish, and then you have to pay for the fish, and you have to pay per pound, right? It's $12 a pound. And so we wanted to go have a fun experience with the grandkids, and so we go there, and we put this bait, this you know, kind of green, glowy stuff on this little hook, and they throw it in, and I'm not kidding, like 30 seconds later, one of them got a fish, and oh, they're so excited, and they're rolling, you know, reeling the fish in, and we're catching it with the net, and taking, my job was, you know, I was the videographer, I was taking all the, the video and the film of that, watching it all happen, and then, yeah, oh, Milo catches, yay, good job, and then Judah catches, yay, good job. They bait another one, catch another one. Yay, good job. Yay, good job. It's going on. They caught more fish in 30 minutes than I've caught in my whole life, right? And so pretty soon we have like 10 fish and we're like, okay, wait a second here, $12 a pound. We're paying more for this fish than if we went to Beverly Hills for a meal, right? Had something and it's like, oh God, okay, I'm looking up okay, how to smoke trout. I've got all these recipes trying to figure out you know, we went to have this fishing experience, but it was a scam. Man, paying $100 just to, you know, go fishing. I could have rented a boat and gone out deep sea fishing for something like this. But it was an experience. And I'm mean, glad we went, but not going again. A lesson that we have to learn. Understanding that, okay, this costs something. But how much is it going to cost later? Back in chapter 5, the Lord was talking to the Babylonians, and he says in verse 10, go up among her vineyard terraces and destroy them, but do not finish them off. And in verse 18, it says, but even in those days, this is the Lord's declaration, I will not finish you off. See, when difficulty happens, when disaster comes upon us, it's not to finish us off. There, there is something that is still there that is the possibility of something more that takes place. Years ago, there was a movie, A Walk in the Clouds, with Keno Reeves, wasn't one of his better roles. He's better at John Wick than at this one. But in this movie, he, he plays a soldier who comes back from World War II. And he comes back to his wife and his wife's upset with him and, and tells him he needs to go back to being a salesman. And, and he has to go, I think, to San Francisco. And he has to go back into selling candy. And he goes back. But on the way back, he encounters a woman who's pregnant. And she's going to her family, but her family is going to really blast her because she's a Hispanic family and her dad, who's Anthony Quinn, is grouchy and he's like just a mean guy. And so he says, I'm going to go with you and I'll pretend that we are going to get married and I'm going to do right. And then I'll leave you and they can be mad at me and not cause harm to you, right? This noble quest. So he goes there. And he's there at this vineyard, and it's beautiful, and he starts just falling in love with the vineyard and all this process. And then he leaves because, you know, that was the plan. He goes back to his wife, but then he finds out that his wife, you know, was 
cheating on him and with someone else. And so he leaves her and everyone's yay because she was kind of a bad person in the movie anyway. And he goes back to this other, you know, lady and the dad hates him because, you know, he sees him as this terrible person. And his dad, in one of his rages, he knocks over this, you know, lantern that catches on fire and the whole vineyard just burns. And this vineyard was taken from Italy where it was, there's, their way of living was all captured in this vineyard and it's just burned to the ground where they have nothing. And the family is devastated. But then Keanu Reeves remembers and he goes to this one place and he digs up and he finds this one root. And from this root, they can replant and start the whole vineyard. This was their ability to start something new, just this one little plant. You see, the Lord is saying, I'm not gonna wipe you out. It will feel like it. But I'm not gonna finish you off. And I know that there are times when we feel like, man, I've just finished. I've got nothing left. And you might feel like God is against me because of all these things that have happened, but I don't think God works that way. And even their understanding at this time, there is this glimmer of hope that God says, I'm not gonna... Let it end like this. I won't finish you off. There's more work to be done. And so one of the lessons I think we need to learn from the book of Jeremiah is that it, it, it doesn't take much for God to start something new. But whatever God is doing there's a maintenance that is required. A maintenance of character. A maintenance that requires change in us. Growth from us. And it might not look like the growth that we thought we had to do before. It might not be simplistic. It might entail some refining but there's something that's there that's able to grow and produce more life for God. Let's pray. Lord, I feel the desperation in this book crying out to find hope. Father, I feel desperation in my own life, in the circumstances of the world and the circumstances of people around me sometimes crying to find hope, crying to find life. And Lord, I'd like an easy answer. I'd like a simple fix. I would like a Bible verse that makes it all better, but that is not how things work. And so instead, there has to be the maintenance of my heart, of my life, of my character. There, there has to be the work of growing, questioning, an awakening to my own 
circumstances and my own heart, my own character. The ability to admit I need help. Humility to say I was wrong so that we can be made right. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be a, a people that are moldable, that are able to be refined, that are able to grow, that are able to be a voice of hope in a world that is so divided, <coughs> divided by <coughs> politics, divided by race, divided by Lord, so many things, that we would be a people who would have your character have humility, have the ability to grow and learn where we are at so that we can grow into the people that you are desiring to make who look like Jesus and whose name we pray. Amen. May we resist the temptation to reduce God into someone we can understand. May in humility we esteem others as important and allow God to refine us into his image and character. God bless you guys. Have a tremendous week. Thank you. You've been listening to the official podcast of Genesis Community Church in Upland, California. If you've been encouraged, found hope, been challenged by what you've heard, we'd like to ask you to help spread the word by sharing our podcast with your friends and family. You can also help support our podcast by visiting us at thegenesisstory.com. It has been our pleasure to have you join us today, and we hope you'll tune in again next week.